I want to continue on sharing some things. I felt the Lord wanted us to kind of take a season to marinate in all of his truth about the power of our mouth. And I felt to call it, watch your mouth. Not in a bad way. There is life and death in the power of our mouth. Creation came about because God spoke. We have the power to create the world around us by how we use this tongue of ours, which is why the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us because he's anointed us to preach good news. And out of this mouth is the opportunity for the world to know what heaven is like and to experience heaven on earth. Today I want to dig in a little bit on some things that maybe our mouths or other people's mouths have been used to bring hell on earth to some of us. There's some things that we have to address, right? There's so many proverbs about the mouth and about the use of the tongue. So mouth, tongue, they're interchangeable terms, scripturally speaking. But I want to share with you about frankness of speech today. So may I be frank? May I, may I be frank? When you hear that expression, does it not make you want to bolt May I be frank? It means I'm about to hear something you don't think I want to hear, right? May I be frank? I, now I reply just to lighten the atmosphere. May I be frank? No, only if I could be George. But anyway, that's just a dumb father, dad joke. So come on, smile at least. Jesus loves you. You got that to smile about at least. <laughs> and that. So we're looking at Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4 is the chapter. If you want to understand how the body of Christ grows, how God makes increase in the body. How does, well, how has the body of Christ survived 2,000 years of persecutions and problems from within and all the things the enemy has thrown his worst at the church? The warfare is still very much on to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. How have we survived? Ephesians 4 is your answer. Like a wise master builder, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. How does he do it? Ephesians 4 is your chapter. If you want to understand the tools, the builders, the process, it's all right in there. I'm going through this right now. By the way, there is a group um, that is being raised up in-house that feels some kind of an anointing in one of what we call the five-fold ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. There are those among us that have different measures of those graces for the sake of equipping the saints and building up the body of Christ. And we are marinating in this chapter right now. They'll have it memorized by the time we're done. And every pastor ought to have it memorized. This is our mission statement. This is what everybody who has dedicated their lives has been called by God to build up the body of Christ. This is what what we're all about. But here comes the part where it becomes more body ministry. And in verse 15, he says, but speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. It's speaking the truth in love. I'd like to share some more about that with us today and encourage us into a, a heavenly culture. Heaven is a realm of transparent honesty Nobody ever left Jesus wondering what he thought about something. Did you notice that? If you read the Gospels and you see the way Jesus spoke to people, nobody, maybe people walked away wondering what he just taught about. Like they didn't get, his teaching was so radical for their day. His teaching was so out there in terms of breaking down paradigms and ways of thinking that people would just scratch their heads and say, we don't understand what he's talking about. But when he spoke directly to a person, they never walked away going, man, I wish he would just tell me the truth already. I wish he would be honest with me already. He would be right in your face. He called his best friends, right, his disciples. He would look at them sometimes. He'd go, are you still so dull? I mean, I don't know about you. Most of us will walk away from a friend. We'd be like, what'd you call me? 
I'm not going to use the modern vernacular of what dull would, would be more like, but Jesus was pretty, pretty straightforward with them. How could he get away with that, and yet his disciples never wonder if he loved them? Because Jesus was the master of this heavenly culture where there is no shadow of turning, as we sang. There's no mystery in terms of what the truth is. It's a place of transparent honesty. I want to encourage us today, and hopefully by the end of, of sharing today, we will be comfortable with our own mouth and comfortable with the use of everyone else's mouth so that we could speak the truth in love, so that we would become a community that has absolutely no, no room no room for the manipulative kind of speech that's the alternative to this. No room for having problems, having blind spots, having, you know, I'll never forget, um, Pastor James' mother used to be my ministry assistant at Christ Community Church. Marie, I don't know if you're watching today, but you remember this moment. And we were at Christ Community Church, and I was out there greeting people, and she came up to me, uh, and like uh, with a little bit of an urgent look on her face, said, Pastor Steve, I've got to tell you something. Come here. She pulled me to the side and said, you need a breath mint. Here. <laughs> I thank God for that moment. I think of how many people I would have offended with my breath. Forget the words in my mouth, just my breath alone. I was wondering why everybody kept the distance that morning. Thank God that she was, she loved me enough to tell me, hey dude, your breath stinks right now. What crawled into your mouth and died. Now she didn't say it like that. That's me going back to the old New York way, which is too harsh. But she told me the truth and I benefited from it. And I thank God for that. That is what heaven is like. Heaven is a place where we don't have to put a verbal censor on for fear of offending. Have you noticed we talked a little bit last week? Why is it that in the relationships we value the most, we struggle to speak the truth? We struggle to say the hard thing. We struggle to say the confrontational thing. And fear is always the beginning of that sentence, or I'm afraid. I was afraid of how you'd respond to that. I was afraid that you would reject me if I told you that. I was afraid that you would argue with me and maybe even tell me what my problems are. You know, the ultimate deflection is if I tell you something you need, something that you need to work on or something you need to hear, you say, well, you're not perfect either. And maybe I'm afraid that that's the response I'm going to get. All of the reasons why we don't speak the truth in love are based in fear. And I want to tell you today that we are a people of perfect love. We are a people who have been loved perfectly by the Father. We are a people who have already been offended by the hardest truth that could ever be heard. The hardest truth that could ever be heard is your best is never gonna be good enough. Do you know that was the news we needed to believe before we got saved? We needed to come to a place of humility where we said, my righteousness is like filthy rags. My best Boy Scout, good deed of the day, day, back to back day, all good deeds is still not righteous enough for heaven. We had to be told that truth by hopefully somebody who preached the fullness of the good news, which is not just that come to Jesus, he's gonna bless you, but you got a problem. You're, you have a death sentence on your life. You have a terminal disease in you right now, and I care about you too much. I love you too much to stay silent. So I'm going to tell you the truth, and the truth is that, yeah, you need to be, repent, but the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is that heaven's doors are wide open, that there is an easy access now to the throne of grace. It takes but just a turning of the gaze, a turning of the heart toward the Lord. That's what the word repent means. All you gotta do is turn around from your path and there is the Father with wide open arms eagerly awaiting your return back home. 
That's the full truth. Restoring paradise in the earth means creating a place. This is something of the culture that we're after here at Hillside. We wanna create a place where we could be naked and unashamed. That was the condition of the first two people in the garden, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. It says of them, and the man and woman, they were naked and they were unashamed. That meant not just that they weren't wearing clothes. The Hebrew is much deeper than that. It means they lived in this transparent place where they had no need to cover anything. They had no need to hide anything. For one thing, there was no sin in the picture, but also because they were just able to be honest with each other. There was no wondering. There was no, uh, their speech was free with each other. Think of your best friend. You know, man, growing up, now I'm from New York, right? So people are a little bit more frank than average, too frank. Like the problem in New York culture is, dude, you don't have to say everything you think. That's the problem. It's too far that way, all right? That's New York culture. It's a problem. Just because you think it doesn't mean you need to say it. But think of that friend. My friend, friend, um, his name was Javier. He was from Puerto Rico. Javier. Javier and I were together after school every day. He had a paper out in the afternoon. I'd help him do his paper out. And we, we had the love-hate thing going on. <laughs> it would get to the point where we got into fist fights with each other. But five minutes after that fist fight, we would talk, we'd work out whatever the problem was, and then we'd go down a gallon of, or a pint, or what do you call it, a two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew together, no problem. That kind of friendship, why? There was something unspoken in our friendship that even though we just got into a fight, I'm not leaving you, you're still my friend. Right now I hate you, I wanna bust your face in. Sorry, a little bit too New York again right there. But, but you're still my friend and I'm not rejecting you. Well, just bring that into more of a, a heavenly culture. What if in the earth there existed a place where everybody could speak freely because everybody could hear freely because there was no room for shame. Perfect love had long since cast out fear. Why? Because fear involves judgment. We're not afraid of judgment anymore. We passed on the other side of judgment. What if we could create a place and a culture within a place where everybody felt so comfortable with being naked and unashamed that nobody had to worry about saying the wrong thing and offending somebody away? What if? Can you see it? Or is this too Valley of Dry Bones-ish right now? Can, can you see that? Can you imagine having a gathering of saints, a community of people where there is no fear about what's going to be said, a culture with no value for that kind of honest and loving confrontation <clears throat> is a breeding ground for corrupt communication. See, the problem is we are made in the image of God and the likeness of God, and God is a just God. So when we see something that's wrong, there's something that rises up in us. Now, that can be a righteous indignation, but if it gets mingled with offense, then it becomes an unrighteous thing, and and boy, can we mess things up. You know, you can say the truth in in a wrong way. You can speak the truth in a way that brings harm to that person. Uh, when we fail to really build a culture of good, honest confrontation, speaking the truth in love, then we end up venting somewhere. Maybe we dump on our other friend or we gossip somewhere else or, or we bottle it up and bottle it up and blah, we pour it out on that poor person who wronged us after we've made a mountain out of a molehill of their sin and boy, do we let them have it at the end because we haven't found a good way to speak the truth in love. Is everybody okay? Are we uncomfortable? I am. I don't like these conversations any more than anybody else, but they must happen. 
So in Ephesians 4, it goes on and it says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. So in other words, be careful. How does something get rotten? It used to be fresh, but now it's rotten. I have this little compost bin in my kitchen. We put stuff in it. It's been maybe a week or so since we last and I opened it up and oh boy, I had to run outside with it. Why? Because it went in there and nothing happened to it. You know, when we eat food, it doesn't rot in our belly. It gets digested. It gets properly handled. How does rotten communication come out of our mouth? Corrupt communication? Because we hold things in. And instead of digesting it or finding a good healthy way to take care of it, it just kind of sits there. And then woe be to that poor person when we finally say enough's enough, I can't handle this anymore. And, and we go out and we do, then that's when we do the hurtful thing. So don't let those words proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. So good for edification, building up. Our words have the power to bring life. Our words have the power to build somebody up. Even when we've failed, and maybe even especially when we've failed, especially when something that we've said or done is so unchristlike, we're horrified by it. I don't know about you, but I feel free after the Lord calls me out on it. And I feel free when I have friends who are willing to speak the truth to me and say, Steve, that thing you said, man, that was was really hurtful. That thing you did, do you realize the impact of it? I got to praise Craig Sheasley here. Uh, And for 15 years now of Craig Sheasley in the house, sorry, Craig, you were just there when I looked up and I thought I could commend you publicly. Craig has no problem speaking the truth in love and have been, I don't know if it's many times, there have been a few times over the 15 years that Craig has pulled me to the side. And, you know, he, show, he told me about something I'd said or done that I hadn't even realized. It, you know, it was just a, an untoward word to come out of my mouth or something I did or said that he'd come and talk to me about. And after that moment comes, I felt built up. I felt like, all right, he's not telling me, why don't you pack your bags and go back over the mountain where he came from? He's telling me, I care that his communication to me, the loving confrontation communicates, I care about you. You have this blind spot right now that's being harmful, and I don't want to see that continue. I want you to be the best version of you that you can be. That's a, he didn't say it exactly like that, but that's what gets communicated when we speak the truth in love, and we do it to the need of the moment. There's a great saying that I learned from uh, Alan Thrush, actually, who's a superintendent of the E-Town School District. Great leader, great strong man, like one of those guys that fills the room when he walks in and he said, "Um, if you have to eat a frog, don't stare at it too long. The best time to handle something is when the need of the moment allows it. Because you've all experienced this, right? The longer you wait to have that conversation you've been avoiding, the harder it gets to have. And actually, the more hurtful it gets because now you're bringing up the past. The longer you wait, the more you're dredging things that, man, that person doesn't even remember that happening by the time you get the courage to have the conversation that the need of the moment would have been, hey, I needed to hear that like six months ago. So I could have repented and turned course before I continued down that destructive path. And what's the result? It'll give grace to those who hear. The, the goal of this kind of honest, speaking the truth in love communication, I want to impart grace to you. Grace is divine enablement to do the will of God. When I speak to you and I call this thing out that's already become manifest, you know the, the problem with our sin, just like our anointing, they work the same way in this sense. 
uh, we all have gifts, right? We all have Christ, we all have a grace, we have an anointing on us. And anointing is like a great fragrance. The anointing oil smelled amazing. You could smell that frankincense and myrrh from hundreds of yards away. The high priest doused in all of that. Boy, you could smell him before you could see him and they could hear him with those little tinkly bells he had around the bottom of his thingy. <laughs> but you can smell it and that the anointing smell everybody around can smell it that's why people seek you out for whatever gift you carry because they could smell it long after you got used to it you know some of you put cologne or perfume on I put some aftershave on this morning after I shaved and I could smell it for a minute then I get used to the smell you put perfume on you get used to the smell you don't notice it anymore but oh when somebody comes over and gives you a hug Ooh, that smells amazing. I do that to you men all the time. I never say that to a woman. I think that's inappropriate. But to the men, I'll say, wow, you smell amazing. What's that called? What are you wearing? It's too flirtatious to do it to a woman. I think that's inappropriate. But a man, I'll say, whoa, what is that stuff? I got to get me some of that. Because I can smell it, but you've gotten used to the smell. So it is with whatever the corruption is that we've been carrying, whatever the sin is that we've been carrying. We get used to it. We've gotten used to carrying this issue that we go on and on with, and we become so used to it that we don't even smell it anymore, but the people around us sure can. God bless the one who's like Marie who comes and says, hey, you need a breath mint. I love you, and you need a breath mint. I'll love you more after you have that breath mint. You'll make it easier for me to love you after you eat that breath mint. I can get closer to you now because I'm not offended by the smell coming out of your mouth. Well, that metaphor went further than I expected it to today. Honest communication, transparent speech opens the door for the mercy and grace that's needed to restore a relationship that's become damaged by sin. This is the only way. Whoever came up with the expression, time heals all wounds, was some monk who lived off in a cave somewhere. Because it done, time done heals squat. That's the biggest lie, one of the biggest lies ever told. Second only to sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's the biggest lie. Its partner is this. Time does not heal anything. As a friend of mine said, any emotion that gets buried gets buried alive. It's going to find its way back out again, and you're going to smell it, and so the people around you are going to smell it. And they're going to say, he stinketh. Like Lazarus in the tomb, and it's time to have that area dealt with. Time doesn't heal anything. But speaking the truth in love, we can grow up into all things, which is the head who is Christ. We grow up in the area of love. We become more loving because people point out to us who love us, hey, this area of you is not like Christ. It's not very loving, and it's hurtful, and we love you and don't want to... I don't want to have to feel like I got to keep a distance when you're around. I want to be able to draw near to you and feel like it's okay for me to be safe and transparent with you because I'm not going to get hurt by the words that come out of your mouth. Following a good confrontation, there ought to come this sense of safety. I'm accepted and loved even though they see my sin. And this is really the bottom line of good, godly, speaking the truth in love. The purpose of speaking the truth in love is not to drive somebody away and let them know you offended me and now I want you to keep out of my life. The purpose of speaking the truth in love is to communicate one to another, I love you and I value our fellowship. I see it, it's no secret. You think, I mean, you think you've been good at putting on church face, but we've all known this about you, we've seen it and yeah, we love you, we're glad you're here, you're still part of the family. There's nothing changing about our relationship because we're having this conversation. I loved you last week, and I'm gonna love you next week. 
I'm going to love you at the beginning of this conversation, and even if you reject me entirely, I'm going to love you at the end of this conversation. It might be harder. You can make it easier. You can make it harder right now based on how we have this conversation. But the goal of any kind of a discussion where there is a confrontation necessary, where frankness of speech is called for, is that the person ought to feel, we ought to feel, I am accepted. I stood before the microscope of heaven, and oh, how happy is the one whose innocence has been declared, who's, who's freely been forgiven, whose innocence has been declared by the God of heaven. There is no freedom anywhere like that, except when now you're also accepted in the beloved because there's a lot of hurting people in the body of Christ who have been accepted in heavenly places, but they got these rough edges, they're new in Christ, or they got a stronghold that's just really stubborn, and it's been hanging on year after year after year, and they got this way about them. Maybe it's cultural, maybe it's just the way that they grew up, whatever it is, and they got these ways about them, and they find it really difficult to be accepted in the beloved, or They've made it difficult to be accepted in the beloved because they won't hear somebody when they come and talk to them. So, speaking the truth in love. Hebrews 4, verse 16 is one of my favorite verses in the whole, whole of the Bible. Hebrews 4, 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence or with boldness to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near with confidence. That's an interesting Greek word. Confident doesn't mean... It does have the sense of I'm comfortable coming into this place. I feel safe in this place. But that word confidence indicates there's a frankness of speech going on here. There is a way of communication that happens in this place where there's no manipulation going on. There's no, um, you know, kind of politicizing going on. I'm not trying to bend things to my will. It's just a place of transparent, honest speaking. It's the place when we come into heaven's courts, it's the place where fig leaves are gone. It's the place where we're back to being naked and then we learn how to be unashamed while we're naked in the presence of the one who sees it all. You know, the only place in the, in the universe where nobody gets away with anything is in heaven. And the best place in the, universe, in the universe to be found out when we just violated something, broke the law, if you will, is in the heavenly courts. Because there is a God in that place whose sincere desire is to extend mercy one of my favorite moments in all the stories in the Bible is when Moses says, God, show me your glory. So God hides him in the cleft of the rock and the Lord comes sweeping by him in some manifestation of his presence. And what is he saying to him? God said to Moses, I will surely make my goodness pass before you. And then he comes by and introduces himself. It's his self-introduction. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, long-suffering, showing mercy. He introduces himself as this, this God who had been shaking the mountain with thunder and, and all of these things like the great and terrible Oz. He comes and he says, yeah, I want to show you what I'm really like because I am slow to anger. I'm tender, I'm compassionate, I am merciful. This is what I'm really like, and I'm eager to extend that portion of me. But first, we have to have a conversation. There's some things that you do that ruin paradise, and I want to set you free from those things. So may I be frank, the Lord says to us. May I be frank. Can we just have a conversation about this? Because I want to set you free. And what you're going to get on the other side of that, when we come boldly before that throne of grace, what do we get? Mercy. 
and we find grace to help in our time of need. It's my favorite part of that verse. Because we tend to think, well, I gotta figure this out. I gotta overcome this thing. I gotta clean up my act and then I will go pray. And then I will go join the saints and worship again once I'm fixed. Then I'll show up at church again after I'm fixed, after I'm all better. And yes, sometimes I believe that happens because there's been some rejection from the community of the crucified who have forgotten how we got here. There is sometimes, and I've ministered to some who have faced that kind of rejection. They dare to let their junk, their garbage out. They dare to show their weakness or even their sin. They dare to confess their faults one to another. And instead of an effective, fervent prayer, they got a rebuke and a shame on you. I know that happened. And if that happened to you, would you please forgive whoever did that and forgive the body of Christ? That obviously does not reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not who we are. That's not what he is like. He is like this, mercy, grace. Come and lay it all before me. I'll take it. I already carried it on a cross for you. And you'll walk away free. You'll walk away with grace to help when you need it the most. Calling on the Lord when we need it the most. That's the time. What if we had a community of people where it was so safe because of the frankness of speech, because we were just all in the light, and there's no shame on you, there's no shame on me, and there's no, I gotta hide this thing, nobody could ever find out about this, but we could be addressed to one another in such a way that we get grace when we need it the most, when we're about to fail and fall down some pit. Wouldn't that be awesome? Are you guys okay? The heat's on. I just realized that. Everybody has a glow on your forehead, you know that? I can see it from up here. I'm feeling it. Can somebody switch it over to air conditioning? Craig, would you please shift it over to here? It's on heat, and it's summer now, and it's getting hot outside. Maybe it's because I wore an African shirt. I don't know. I don't know, but it feels hot in here. We feel confident to receive correction from God because he showed his love for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. So how do we create a culture where it's safe to be rebuked, safe to be corrected, safe to receive, speaking the truth in love. We demonstrate love. We put out our love. We show it as forcefully and as obviously as possible for all of the time. And once we've created a culture where it's safe, where you're accepted, man. If Jesus accepts you, we accept you. There's no chance you're going to be rejected from here unless you reject us. You're going to have to do the rejecting because you're accepted in the beloved of God right here. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While someone else was yet in their sin, we extend our love to them. We extend the wide open arms of fellowship. We, we go after, we encourage, we, we use all of the, the power of our mouth to entreat, to call someone back to the Father. We do all of that first. That creates a culture, and then, then we know that we can, fee- we can receive correction because, man, they've already seen all this about me, and here I sit, accepted in the beloved. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, a group of Christians he hadn't really spent a lot of time with, but he probably knew many of them, and he said to them, concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, and filled with all knowledge. Speaking the truth in love means we have to know the truth, right? We'll talk about that a little bit either today or next week. How can you speak the truth in love if you don't know the truth? You know, we have this thing now, truth is like out the window culturally. When, when somebody coined the phrase your truth or my truth, 
Well, that's my truth. Well, what if your truth is a lie? What, what if you say he did it, but the video shows he didn't? Your truth is a lie. Uh, you know, we, we've, got, we've kind of forgotten all of that, but in order in the body of Christ and the people of the, the cross, for us, we gotta know the truth filled with all goodness, filled with like what God is like, filled with a sincere love desire to, to edify and build people up, filled with no other motive but to see people grow to be more like the Lord and be set free from the things that hold them back. So they're filled with goodness, filled with all knowledge, and therefore also able to admonish one another. Now there's a strong word. I like Bible words. I like, but you know, like we have these uh, flowery expressions that we use to substitute for sin, like they had an affair. No, man, you committed adultery. Isn't that stronger? You guys with me on that? But use the Bible word, man. Admonish one another. That means to bring a word of correction. Hey, you're wrong about that. That thing you're doing, it's wrong. It's not right. It's hurtful. It's not Christ. That's not the way we live. So when our heart's filled with goodness and real knowledge, then we're clear enough to speak the truth. So the one who's bringing the word of correction makes it easier to hear by maintaining a clear heart that's been motivated by love. So before we have any conversation where we're saying, I need to be frank with you, I need to speak the truth in love, we've got to have a clear heart. Now, when we've been hurt, when we've been offended, that means we've got to go to the Father first. That means we've got to get to a place where we're viewing the entire situation the way the Lord does. This is what I endeavor to do. I encourage you to do the same, is that I will go to the Lord and be prayerful before I confront somebody. I mean when it gets to where it's really heavy. Most of the time, as you know, been around me long enough, I try to take a short, keep a short account, go right to the person in the moment hey, this thing that you just said, uh, you know, I come right to you with it. So there's no wondering. There's no, man, I wonder if he's upset. or There's none of that. There should be none of that between us. But sometimes we have to go to the Father, and until I have a sense that I have the Lord's compassion for that person, if I have the Lord's mercy for that person, if my sincere desire now is to extend grace to that person, now I'm ready to speak the truth and it will be in love. Because speaking the truth without love can be the most hurtful thing you can do. Because the truth, when we're talking about the negative side of the truth, meaning the corrective side of truth, that gets down to the core and heart of what makes us who we are. There are things that need to be crucified. There are things that need to be brought into the kingdom. But this is real. This is like me. This is embedded in me. And if you speak the truth without love, that's harsh. That hurts. And I don't ever want to, you know, I'm not sure I feel safe. Like I want to be around you again. Not speaking the truth and just extending so-called love just creates a free-for-all kind of atmosphere. Man, we're back in the 60s, you know, and some kind of thing that I don't know what that's all about. But if there's no, nobody willing to say the hard things when we need to hear them, that's not love. What parent totally ignores their kid's behavior and just lets them do whatever they want to do? Not a parent who cares about whether they survive. None of my kids would have survived to age five, age three, two. I'll, I could keep backing it up. None of our kids would have survived adolescence if they didn't have a loving enough parent who was willing to say, hey, that's wrong. That's wrong. That needs to stop. You can't treat people that way. You can't do that. Stop putting that in your mouth. No, you can't play in traffic. No, you can't hang glide with the tent off the garage in the back. No, you can't swing like Batman from the ceiling fan. 
And no, you can't hang the cat from it either. Yeah, all those things happen in the Blair House. No, you can't do those things. Why? I love you, and that's why I'm saying this thing. If I didn't care, I wouldn't bother to say it. That's why speaking the truth in love is a demonstration that this relationship matters to me. We don't go around to the whole world. I don't go walking in some mall somewhere and go telling everybody what the issues are, but relationships that are valuable are worth the time and effort to speak truth and to say there's something between us. Let's get rid of this thing. So I showed you this picture last week that when we're speaking the truth in love, uh, we tend to think, all right, if, if I showed you this picture, now if you were here last week, don't say anything, but what's on that screen right there? A dot, there's a black dot. Is that the truth? Yes, it is. Is it the whole truth? Nope. It's a big white screen with a dot in the middle of it. The whole truth is, man, that's a nice white screen and we got this dot in there. So we're gonna talk about the dot, but I'm not gonna forget that that whole white screen is really all of you. This dot does not represent who you are. This is just a stain on you. And uh, boy, would you like to get rid of it as much as I'd like it to be gone because that stain hurts me. That stain hurts the people that you love. That stain right there is worth talking about because Jesus can wash you and make you white as snow. There's freedom in that. There's peace in that. There's a genuine love community in that. See, what we do when we only look at the dot, and this is how you know you're tracking down a road of offense, is the dot starts looking like that because that's all we're looking at. When we get offended with somebody, that's all we think about when we think of them. Many of us can recall people, and if I would call somebody who hurt you to mind. If the first thought is what they did and the pain that it brought, I would suggest taking some time to unpack that with Jesus. Because this is mountains into molehills, uh, molehills into mountains right here. This, that's what happens. When, all, when we haven't gone through this pathway of speaking the truth and love so that we can edify, bring grace, restore the relationship, the longer we wait, the more it begins to look like this. And that's all we could see. You know, when you're offended with somebody, nothing they do is right even their love begins to look offensive to you. Even like sincere effort of I'm trying to bless you right now, well, you're just doing it because blah, 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 fill in the blank. That's what offense does. It, ma- it magnifies, there's a legit issue, but now it's become magnified. That person now in our mind and heart is defined by that. So when we're here, not a good time yet to go speak the truth in love because we'll end up using our mouth to define somebody. This is when name calling comes into play. This is when judgment comes into play. This is when pigeonholing people and making them the sum total of all their faults. That's not speaking the truth in love. That's just hurtful. And it's not the truth. This is where coming into understanding what the truth is is so important. That's why Jesus, you know, there was a lot that Jesus spoke line by line about, not too many things. But when it came to offense, handling sin, handling issues in the body of Christ, he would break it down. No parables here. No parables. He would tell you just straight out, this is what I want you to do because love is the most important thing to me. That I would leave behind, Jesus was saying, a community of people who would show what love looks like, that's worth dying for. And that's exactly what he did. So he said in Sermon on the Mount Christianity, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. This is Jesus now. Don't get mad at me. You hypocrite. You person with two standards, one for you, one for the rest of the world. You know, the word hypocrite literally means a play actor, but how it plays out in real life is that 
You, you may have heard this expression, we judge ourselves by our motives, but we judge others by their actions. Right, I'll give myself a pass on that because I know that's not what I really meant to do. But God help you if you do that, because I know your motive, that's now, see now we're going down judgment. Now, now we headed down the road. I not only know what you did, but I know why you did it. And it's because you're evil, because you're just like your father. We say those things, I'm sorry. This is hard for married couples to hear. I've heard these things too. Did I ever tell you about my favorite marriage counselor? My wife and I went down to a place called His High Places a few years ago. We spent a week just getting some work on our marriage because we needed it. And we were with this guy and he was Southern and he was a big guy and he came in and he won my heart over by his frankness of speech. And forgive the language, I hope this doesn't offend anybody here, but he would look at us every once in a while and he'd go, man, y'all really suck at this, don't you? You can laugh, I did. I laughed out loud when he said that and I thought, now I'll listen to you because you're not gonna mince words. I want you to just get to the point and tell, we came here for help and thank you for being honest and speaking the truth even though I don't like what you just said and I'm ready to go, yeah, <laughs> but I'm gonna hear you out for you hypocrites. So just, you know, hypo hypocrisy means we hold others to a different standard than we hold ourselves. Before this, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged for the measure by which you judge, you yourself will be judged. And then he goes on into this. Take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now notice what Jesus did not say. He didn't say, you hypocrite, you got a log in your eye. Who are you to talk about the speck in someone else's eye? That's not what he said. He said, if you want a real, if your sincere desire, could you ever get a speck in your eye? Oh my goodness. Allergy season's in, I always, it feels to me like I got sawdust in my eye. That's how I know allergies, my allergens are in the air. I don't know what tree it is, but it's a lot of them around here. And it feels like I got a piece of dust in my eye. No matter what I do, all day, trying to get it out, it's annoying. When we believe the best about other people, that speck in their eye bothers them too. They don't want a speck in the eye. Nobody wants a speck in their eye. You're all itchy now, I see you're all touching your eye. <laughs> Nobody wants a speck in their eye, so if you want to help them, you got a log in your eye, and because of that log in your eye, this is what they look like to you. That's what a log in your eye looks like. You can barely see around, maybe you can't see around the, I mean, he was speaking in hyperbole, right? You can't see anymore, and I want you to be able to help your brother with that speck. I expect you all to be doing that. My kids would come to me after they learned the trick. They, you know, if you got dust in your eye, do you know this trick? I'm gonna teach you one now. Take your top eyelid, grab the eyelash, and pull it over your bottom eyelash, and go like that, and your bottom eyelash wipes out the dust. Try it next time it works. So my kids would come to me when I got stuff in their eye. Dad, do that eyelid thing. It was really freaky, but it works. So they come asking now, help me with this speck in my eye. That's what the community of those who speak the truth and love can do for one another. We can be frank, honest, and help each other with those specs because they're really annoying. Frankness does mean, I'll just close with this, frankness means we address actions, not motives. To address the motive behind something, we're entering into judgment now, and that's not what speaking the truth and love is all about. Heaven will deal with that. Why you did what you did, God knows that. And, and no, don't, don't try to say, well, I'm prophesying, the Lord showed me, unless he really does. Be super careful with that, because that is the kind of manipulation that drives people away. If the Lord gives you a word of knowledge, it also comes with a genuine love and grace for that person. 
So if that's absent, you're not prophesying now, you're just judging. And the word of judgment is the kind of thing that really drives people away and hurts. We address the action. When you said that, here's how I experienced it. When you did that, here's the feeling that came my way. When, when, you, t- when you didn't do that thing, it left me wondering. That's addressing actions. I'm not getting into the motive. I don't, know, I don't know what's going on inside of you. If you want to share that with me, that'd be awesome. Now we're having fellowship with each other. Maybe understanding will follow. But I'm addressing your actions, not your motives. Frankness means sharing the truth then of something observed, not your truth about what really happened. And this is where arguments in marriages, especially and in friendships, really get off track. Well, uh, you know, you, you, you did that, but... Um, what I really know happened, I know, I know what you really meant by that. I know that you didn't say it this way, but what you really said was, and we start adding things in and we have a perspective problem now, rather than love believes all things about the situation, now we've entered into judgment. I, I believe that what you did means this, and I'm not gonna hear otherwise. Um, I've got you locked in, and that is what you mean, no, no matter what you say, I'm not gonna acknowledge, that's not speaking the truth in love. That's where we've gone down in some road of judgment. Frankness means speaking, speaking your heart, but withholding your, your opinion unless you're asked for it. So when we, when we share with somebody and we have you know, something that we need to address with them, we share what's going on inside of me. Danny Silk does some great stuff with this. We've used this materials here a lot, so I won't belabor this. I just recommend next time when there's a, uh, keep your love on class being offered that you take it. Some of the best stuff going out there about interpersonal relationships, how to have a conversation with somebody where you keep it on the heart-to-heart level. We're too accustomed to sharing our opinions, sharing our thoughts, sharing all of those things. Sharing the heart means, I'm gonna tell you what my experience is right now. Here's what I'm feeling right now. Now, I'm putting my heart out on the table and I'm trusting that you're gonna do the right thing with my heart. So I'm not gonna tell you about you what's wrong with you, what your problem is, and why you do these things. I'm gonna tell you about me. Because if there's a wicked way in somebody, it's hurtful. It means that our relationship's damaged by this thing. So, so I'm, gonna do the, I'm gonna share that way. From the heart, we learn how to speak heart to heart. Frankness does not mean speaking harshly. <clears throat> That's not what frankness of speech means. Frankness of speech means I've got no motive behind me and I'm just going to speak the truth. I'm just passionate about it. I'm not here to try to manipulate you to do things the way I think you should do them. I'm just going to speak plainly. I'm going to speak in an honest way with you. But harshness is what happens when we bottle it up and then we just pour it out all at once and we speak harshly. Uh, telling somebody off is not being frank. That's, that's just being immature. Like, like another friend of mine said, you don't need to behave your emotions all the time. We don't have to behave that. If we're angry, then we go to the Lord, ask him, God, help me with this thing. I, want to, I don't want this issue to remain here, but man, I also don't want my mouth to bring more hurt to the situation. It's messed up enough as it is. So frankness doesn't mean we have liberty to speak in a harsh manner. Frankness doesn't mean sharing judgments. I'm not here to tell my opinion of why you do what you do. I'm not here to tell you you are condemned. Shame on you. That's not speaking the truth in love. Frankness does not mean venting or telling somebody off. That is what happens when we delay. 
And so I'm gonna urge you to speak the truth when the moment requires it and not wait. How many of you like me, and I still do this sometimes too, how many of you like me have waited too long to do a conversation you know needed to be happened? There's even a book called How to Have That Conversation You've Been Avoiding. It's full of really good wisdom. How many of you have done that? Now it's like three months later, and now it almost feels like it's too late, but you still got it bottled up and you just don't know what to do. How many have ever done that? Man, the rest, you, you just get up here and you just do this for me. Yeah, it's hard. The longer we wait, the harder it is. And then we spout off. We just vent. We tell somebody off. Well, now there's all this other damage. Now, now we're the one in need of somebody coming and speaking the truth and love to us because we just sinned. We just did harmful things. We used our tongue rather than as a source of life, as a source of death. So I'm going to close with this. Just one piece of advice that's been out there for a long time. It's called the sandwich approach. Y'all hear this one. If you go to any business workshop in management or leadership, it's, um, it's the way that they tell you you should do a confrontation. So a sandwich means I'm going to introduce this conversation with some encouragement. And the encouragement should take on the form of what I'm about to share with you, I don't believe defines who you are. Because my experience with you, my fellowship with you has been this. All along, we have had sweet community with one another. We've had, the, you know, you share the context of your relationship, connect on that level. What I'm about to say doesn't define all of who you are. This does, and then share all the awesome things about that person. So the foundation of fellowship is really critical. All of you who have been in management and all of you who have had these conversations with people know it's really hard to have this conversation if there's been no foundation of relationship. You know, I'm experiencing it now. Some of you know I'm the chair of the board at the Christian school up here. <clears throat> We're looking for a head of school because of the tragedy that happened in December. So in the meanwhile, I do have to show up sometimes to be like a head of school kind of thing. So somebody's in trouble, um, you know, they got to send to the principal's office or whatever, and, and I come in to do that. And, and I overheard somebody after I walked past a classroom say, uh-oh, Steve's here. And it just broke my heart. I said, no, if you knew me, you wouldn't feel that way because I'm not like that. But I realized this truth hit me all over again. I'm not here every day to build the community with them. I'm not here offering those, you know, those 10-second words of encouragement. I hope you practice that at your workplace. It takes less than 10 seconds to say somebody something to somebody that could change the course of their day. Just a real quick, meaningful observation about something about them that really rocks. Amazing how that changes the atmosphere and the culture. Like, like I quoted earlier from Hebrews, um, but um, encourage one another daily and so much more as they see the day approaching. Every day, 10 seconds is all it takes. Just a little word of encouragement to somebody can change the course of somebody's day. So we build that foundation and in a conversation like this, speaking the truth, this is where the in love part comes to play. I'm speaking the truth to you, but I'm speaking the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. All of the truth about you is this. Now, now we want to get to the pastrami. That is a New York pastrami sandwich. Is anybody else drooling over that? The only difference is in New York, it'd be a lot fatter than that. Like one, one half of it would be as thick as both sides of that. That's the only difference. And it would be made kosher. That's the other big difference. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I need one of those and they're too far away. The meat of it 
and the reason why it's speaking the truth in love This is the purpose of this conversation. Let's be real. The purpose of the conversation isn't to be like, why, you're amazing, you're so awesome. You did this one bad thing. But really, you're amazing. That's that's not a big deal. You're so awesome, and I love you. And and all of that's all well and good. But if you don't get to the meat, you just left that person with that blind spot remaining, with the bad breath in their mouth, and all of the problem is still there. The sincere desire for a conversation like this, where we're now talking, speaking the truth in love, is here's an issue. This is the the meat of our conversation. This deserves prayerful attention ahead of time. Lord, help me to share this in a way that's not cutting, but it's truthful. Help me to stick to the facts and not throw my opinions or judgments into the matter. Help me to remain dispassionate about their response to what I'm about to say. You know, the number one fear of why we don't engage in these conversations because I am afraid of how you'll respond. So Lord, before I bring the meat, I'm gonna bring a quarter pound of pastrami to the table for this conversation. And before I do so, I wanna prepare that well. I wanna make sure that what I share is accurate and it's a word that comes from heavenly places, from Christ in me, the hope of glory. So we share that, this thing in you, the communication is this thing, this behavior, this thing you've done. It doesn't reflect Christ in you. It's not who you are and it really needs to stop. That's a bold way of speaking, isn't it? It's a bold thing to be able to, it requires courage to have these conversations. I need you to stop doing this because it's hurtful. I need you to stop doing this because it brings sin into this glorious fellowship that we're aiming to build. I really need you to stop. It's wrong. You could bring a scripture at that point. Don't don't thump your Bible over somebody's head, but bring the word of God to bear. This isn't my opinion. I'm not telling you that, that, you know, when we confront somebody, it's not because they have a personality that rubs us the wrong way, right? That's not what speaking the truth in love is. That problem might be within us. Does everybody else have a certain kind of personality that bothers you? Oh, don't look at me like that. You all do. You got some, some kind of person that you pray to God isn't at the workstation next to you or at the desk next to you or that you have to be on a team with. Come on, everybody, don't look at me. That, don't you judge me. That's not what this is about because that is God's tool in our lives to teach us patience, to teach us forbearance. Don't use the word long-suffering and emphasize the suffering part. Don't, Don't use it like that. But to teach me how to love beyond what my natural capacity is to shape me into a Jesus who, while I was yet a sinner, died for me on a cross. (coughs) That's what that's about. This is for an actual observed sin. That's what we're talking about. That's the meat of this sandwich. And then at the end of this conversation, we're not gonna let this be, this is not gonna be your memory of this conversation. Because when you hear something said to you that's hard to hear, that's what you're going to remember. You know, if it raises emotions, you get defensive, you get, you know, protective, whatever happens, that's what you'll remember. So I'm going to finish it by offering you my support and reminding you this is not me rejecting you right now. And so is there anything I can do to help? (coughs) I'm happy to pray for you if you'll receive that. I will pray together with you right now. I will end this with a hug if you'll allow me to because not, not a, like a fake hug, like, hey, you know, good talk. But I mean a sincere, this does, still does not change. I knew this before, and I'm going to know it after, but my love for you is not going to change as a result of this issue. Now, that's the ideal. 
That's how we want to end a conversation like this. So we will, uh, I want to close with this piece of good news. Paul wrote two letters to the church in Corinth, maybe three, because he mentions a letter in his first, in first Corinthians, but the first letter was a hard word. You read that? I don't know about you. Pastor John, when you used to pastor, did you ever read first Corinthians just to feel a little bit better about whatever problems you had to deal with in the church? I mean, I sure, I do. I'll confess, I do sometimes when there are issues. I'm like, wow, at least I don't have to deal with that. And one of them was there was this dude in the church who was having sexual relations with his, his mother, his stepmother, or maybe his biological mother. We don't know. Paul said, man, even the pagans don't do this. That's how bad it was. And he told the church, you guys aren't doing anything about this. What's wrong with you? Don't you know a little leaven? Leaven's a whole lump. And he goes through this whole thing. First Corinthians is like a 13-chapter rebuke until he gets to the love chapter. He said, what is wrong with you people? Did you remember anything that I taught you while I was with you? It's a hard letter. But concerning that subject, when he wrote his second letter to the Corinthians and he was on his way to visit them when he wrote it, he, he talked about that brother that he told him, you gotta confront him. That's where Paul said, hand him over to Satan. <laughs> I remember reading that and I already knew 1 Corinthians 13. Like, would he have, like, if, did he read chapter 13 first and then he, Hand him over to Satan. What? First Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. You, you okay? You knew that, right? Okay, just checking. So this one, he writes afterward, and apparently it worked. They confronted this brother in love. They, they did it. They challenged him. They said, look, you either repent or you have to leave the community because your behavior is completely contrary to what we're about here, and you're just pretending in our midst or you know, whatever they got to with him. So it worked. And he, he said in their second letter to them, he said, out of much affliction, anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you'd be made sorrowful, but so you might know the love which I have especially for you. Paul wrote to them like a father writes to his children, and he said, I love you too much to let these things continue. I care about you. I've sacrificed for you. You are on my heart. I carry your, the burden of your lives in Christ daily on my shoulders. My love for you is so strong, and that's why I wrote this way to you. But then he remembered, and he addresses this brother who'd been confronted in some really out-in-the-light shameful sin, and he said, if anyone has caused sorrow, he's caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you. So, Sufficient for a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority. So they dealt with it. They, they did what they needed to do. So that on the contrary, you should now rather forgive and comfort him so that he's not overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you, reaffirm your love for him. There's the sandwich. Hey, he... He was dealt with and, and hard. I mean, hand him over to Satan. That brother read that letter like, well, you, you want the devil to have me? Like, you know, it was like a Peter with Jesus moment. Simon, Simon, Satan's asked to sift you as wheat. You said, no, right? Nope, I'm praying for you. <laughs> you, let, you. You could have said no, but you said, no, I'm praying for you. I know when you've returned, you'll strengthen the brethren. I know how it's going to turn out, but you've got to go through something first, Peter, because you're so full of yourself. There's no way you're ready to lead a community of the crucified. There's just no way. Reaffirm your love for him now. Surround him. Make sure that he is not defined by that thing for a moment longer. Now he's going to be defined as the brother who is accepted and the beloved. Are we ready to do this kind of stuff? 
<laughs> I know this isn't like, hey, I came here to get encouraged and I just did. Because when we do this well, we're creating something of substance. I don't know about you, but I do know about you, actually. I know that Hillside and the members of this church are the real deal. That's how I describe you. When my friends who pastor out of town, we get together, we talk about our churches. How would you describe Hillside? One of the terms I will always use is those people are the real deal. They're not going to settle for fake. They don't want showy. They don't want you know, any of the flashy kind of stuff. No platform kind of stuff like, like goes around sometimes. They want authenticity. They want the real deal. And they will not accept something if it's not the real deal. And so a word like this is part of how we build up a culture here so that we're all the real deal. So that all of us speaking the truth, we're gonna be mature in Christ. We're gonna have a body that's healthy, a body that's vibrant, a body that's strong. We'll continue to do that. We'll be countercultural to a world that just says, nah, just try to avoid conflict, just try to get by. No, we're gonna be those who know how to speak to one another like this and be comfortable. Be comfortable, be, be desirous of growing, like an athlete who doesn't mind the coach telling him what he needs to change so he could better excel at his craft and his sport. We'll, we'll be like that with one another. And I, I don't know about you, I always wanted to live in a community like that. And I'm grateful to God that I live in a community like that among you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the patience that's been extended to me as I've shared these words today. And I pray that your word would go deep into every one of us. And we open ourselves to be a community of people that has heaven's atmosphere, frankness of speech, that there won't be any wondering, there won't be any concern for what, what things might happen. Make us courageous enough to speak the truth in love so that we could be a mature body, completely looking just like Jesus in every way. We bless you, Lord, and thank you for the privilege of community, for the privilege of being loved before we even blew it and being loved after we blew it, accepted in the beloved. May that be the tone and tenor of Hillside Christian Fellowship. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to just warn you and be careful. If now you feel encouraged to go and have that conversation you've been avoiding, pray first and get back to that gracious, gentle, loving motive, but by all means do it. All right, I love you guys. See you in the plan.